Five o'clock on the Blitz. Work is over. It's time to let that bird fly. Free that bird, boys. Happy Thursday, everyone. It is another episode of the show here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. I'm Colby Daniels, along with Jeremy Poplin, Scott File on the other side of the glass in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. And joining us via the Blitz hotline is Colin Kennedy with SoonersIllustrated.com and 24-7 Sports. Colin, I promise you this is not uh, being disrespectful or anything like that, but you are a young guy, so I'm genuinely curious. Do you remember... Alabama before Saban got there can't really say that I do to be okay. honest I mean I, there's inklings of the LSU days in there but hey I I am just but a humble young guy so what do I know you know <laughs> I know you've uh, you've only been around for a couple years but uh yeah, yeah. no I'm messing with you no I mean look like at the end of the day I'm you know 27 years old right like all I've ever known is Saban's greatness really at Alabama you know his dominance is is not just a part of the world that I've built my career in but also like what got me involved in this space to begin with and so it's that's pretty crazy man like if you really kind of think of it in the way you're framing it like all I've ever known is this guy at Alabama if we're being honest I, you know, Alabama is one of those schools that it's not like Nick Saban was what turned them into a blue blood, right? They were right. they were one of the, the I mean, elites way before Nick Saban got there, but they had fallen on some really hard times and gone through a number of coaches that most people probably wouldn't even remember the names that were there between Gene Stallings and, and, uh, and Nick Saban. Yeah, look, I, I think, again, this is this is a guy that, when you're young and you're learning about college football, like one of the first things you have to learn about is the greatness that was Bear Bryant, right? And what he did at Alabama and how no one thought ever that he would ever be matched by someone, especially in Tuscaloosa, for the accomplishments that he had to the Crimson Tide. And then here comes Nick Saban. And he built Alabama, not just into an elite program, but really a program of its own. I mean, it, especially in the time frame in which he really started to get things going, it, it wasn't ever a scenario where one program would stockpile elite player on elite player. And then somehow in, in the midst of all this, like he constantly found ways to get better. You know, he, he was a, a huge presence in some of the stuff that was created in the game, like some of these match coverage concepts and, some really creative stuff on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, he then would build out his team even more and would start to explore more with aggressive pass-first offenses. He he went from the days of the, the Jacob Cokers of the world and started to really realize how much effort he needed to put into quarterbacks and, and developing those guys and making them the focal point of your team. But then I think the other part of the two is like, this is the guy for – most credit due that built out these gigantic staffs you see in college football today because I think Saban realized very early on in his tenure at Alabama just how important recruiting was and how how much you have to invest into getting it right and getting the Jimmys and Joes into the program and now you see programs like 
Florida spending millions and millions of dollars under a coach like Billy Napier trying to fill out literally the most extensive staff in all of college sports just to recruit. And so, yeah, like Saban's footprint on the game, if you really break it down, like there's a number of ways that he's touched this sport and made it for the better and then had that trickle out into even some of the stuff that we do today. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, man. Like he he's really an entity of his own, and it's still kind of weird trying to collect the shock after seeing a guy like that leave it. He was the standard, right, Colin? I mean, he is a level of consistency where he took everyone's shot. He ran people out of the conference. Every single coach talked about what they had to do to be able to get their program to his level. Uh, and I think that you could make the argument, and I know that Urban won with Florida a few times and then lost to Saban and couldn't handle the pressure and had his mental health issue happen before he went to Ohio State. So he he burned out because of trying to keep up with Nick and a level of consistency. But my question is, would the SEC be as revered as what it is right now without having that level of consistency like Nick Saban? I, I mean, the conference was there before he got there, but to bring it into this almost reverent, like, oh, it's the SEC type way that we view it, that doesn't happen without Nick being there. I mean, look, like, not just Urban, who you mentioned. I mean, Les Miles, if yes. you think back to at LSU, and how maniacal that guy was seen as because of the effort that he put in from a recruiting perspective. LSU is LSU, right? Like, the, the LSU program is as proud of a one as there is in the entire country. But part of what Les Miles did from a personal investment standpoint was because he probably knew in the back of his mind what he had to do in order to take LSU to the places that Alabama was reaching. And, and that's the thing is in the driving world that is coaching, like you are always trying to match the other person. You're wanting to compete with those people who are building things better than you are. You want to be the new innovator, things of that nature. Well, obviously, we know Saban is the guy that's kind of coined the phrase of process-oriented approach, not focusing on the actual goal, but what it takes every single day. And upon forgetting about the actual goal, you actually strive towards your original goal in the first place because you simply invested solely on what you have to do from a day-to-day perspective. And part of that is literally the recruiting and the coaching and all of these things that you actually have to do if you're going to be great. And I think Saban, again, he, he would wake up on a given day and all of a sudden now we see these major hires being made throughout these extensive coaching staffs because he, he would, from hiring big-name coaches as analysts, right, and sort of creating that new wave and movement that we see in college football today where you're you're seeing former head coaches take analyst roles that was unprecedented once upon a time but Saban was the guy to do it hiring all these recruiting staffers and things of that nature and spending all that time you know traveling and going and meeting with parents and recruiting these kids now you, you know years later like Jim Harbaugh's getting busted for sleepovers with kickers right like it's some of this stuff is literally what Saban created, and I think when you look at the SEC, that, that immediate impact that he had on these conferences, this conference and these co- these coaches and these programs that are in recruiting hotbeds, he sort of raised the standard to a point where 
all of these big name programs that are, again, are featured in areas and territories that have some of the best players in the country, all of a sudden the SEC from a talent perspective and a coaching perspective is highly coveted because the elite players of Florida and Louisiana and all these, these Southeast states, even branching out to Texas, they were all headed to the SEC because of the recruiting effort put in by the coaches and the coaching ability and the development within that conference. And it all came from, again, everyone in it trying to match what Saban originally put forth and how he then utilized all this to build Alabama ahead of time before others started to come along. And so I, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about, but I think that the SEC has a lot to thank for Nick Saban and his presence and how he elevated those around him. And I think because of his exit, there's now this unspoken standard that must be met if you're going to have success in that conference. And with it expanding, it's only going to make this conference even more intriguing as Saban kind of sits back and, and watches from afar. The ripple effect of this one is is pretty crazy to think about when you consider whoever they hire as the coach, right, is probably going to come from a another big-time college football program. Uh, the recruiting implications, not only on on – you know the the five star immediately decommitting yesterday, but but going forward, and then every player now given thirty days to possibly enter the transfer portal. I mean, so much immediately up in the air. I mean, look, it, this is something I was talking about on our podcast this morning. You know, one of the first things that Kirby Smart talked about after winning his first national championship at Georgia. Obviously, you left Alabama to take over that program. He sort of beat the odds. Well, after Georgia wins its national championship for the first time under Kirby Smart, Matt Luke, their offensive line coach, retires suddenly, and everyone's shocked. And one of the first things Kirby's is talking about is, look, this new age of college football, like, it's going to wear coaches out. You're going to see guys call it quits earlier than expected because the calendar and what's being asked of these guys is now more stressful than ever, and there's so many layers to it, it's hard to keep up with, especially for guys who want to be, I don't know, with their families. But not only was Kirby exactly right, because it, it applies to Nick Saban, in my opinion, in this instance, but it's exactly why we have to talk about this stuff, because now more than ever, the new age of college football from the relational aspect that's in place that can then lead to a transaction via the transfer portal or some of the major dollars and cents that's flowing through these programs in name, image, and likeness, a vacancy anywhere at a high-level program across the country creates a ripple effect, especially for programs within that region that you have to pay attention to because now you've got to start allocating funds and scoping out rosters and looking through your personnel and figuring out how you can add from a uh, an available roster prepared to be picked apart. Well, at Alabama, like, Saban's exit because of all of this stuff likely is now going to create one of the, like, potentially the most mass exodus types of program vacation like we've ever seen. And I think, I think you look at this Alabama roster, it's number one in the team talent composite at 24-7. It's clearly the most deep, and talented roster in the sport. If this suddenly becomes a thing where, obviously, according to our own John Talty at Bama 
there was a meeting in place, and those Alabama players were told, wait 72 hours before making your decision. We hope to have something in place by then. Well, I'm not good at math. I don't know where we're at in that 72-hour window, but I know we're getting close to the end. So now you're literally sitting there, if you're in Oklahoma, if you're an LSU, if you're a Texas, you're a Texas A&M, and sitting yourself saying, all right, who are we going to go after? If this player becomes available, so on and so forth, like, what's our game plan here? Because it's now more relevant than ever that you have these discussions. And then on top of that, because the ripple effect and how these, these programs are more intertwined than ever because of the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, recruiting, things of that nature, if a high-level coach, as you mentioned, Colby, leaves another major program to take the Alabama job, well, then that creates even more chaos and mass exodus. Like if a Mike Norvell leaves Florida State to take the Alabama job, well, even today, Oklahoma lost out on a high-profile transfer offensive lineman to Florida State who is from Alabama. What happens if Norvell leaves Florida State? Like, these are, these are the things that we now have to consider and that these coaches are dealing with and that the sport has created. And so, again, it's, it's created this fascinating dynamic in which you have to sit down and truly analyze every angle because every vacancy, every move in this sport – creates a gigantic domino effect that sometimes doesn't even truly register until you're already into the chaos. So if we've ever had a question as to the length of time that you have to hire a head coach, you know, some programs that make a move in the middle of the season, which doesn't happen very often to get a head start on it. um, You know, that's, that's kind of the way that some have approached it, but we're literally to a point now where you've got 72 hours, which is, Absolutely wild if you just take a moment and pause and think about that for a moment. You mean to tell me everything that we've accomplished, everything that that man has accomplished in getting to this point, resurrecting a statue because of that is boiled down and the future of this program depends on a decision that we need need in 72 hours. That is absolutely wild and insane if you you really want to get down to it. A hundred percent it is. But that's the other part of this, too, is that because Saban built this program up to what it is, in anticipation of this exit, you got to, at least I should say, hope. you got to hope that a lot of leadership and administrators within Alabama's athletic department and beyond, you got to hope that the due diligence has already been done. Because let's just be honest here. The moment any major head coaching vacancy takes place, Players, no matter what time of the year, are immediately eligible for a 30-day transfer portal window. Those players get 30 days to hit the portal and sort through the process. Well, if Alabama, which is obviously arguably one of the pinnacles of the sport as far as a job opening, knows that Nick Saban is leaving, you're also going to have to understand the consequences of that move and that you're not going to have a lot of time to Oh, thank you, Coach Saban. Let's throw a parade in the streets. No, like a lot of those guys are going to hop on a parade float and drive it to their next program in the SEC. So I hope, and this is why I think that that's part of the reports that are coming out, I hope that Alabama knew this was coming, sat down and said, who are our guys? Let's file together three to four names and let's go after them. And then once Saban announced, That's why I hope that they were ready with that number 
in these meetings with these players. Because if they weren't, then we're truly getting into the territory like you're talking about, Jeremy. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, how, how is that the number when you have arguably one of the best programs in America and you don't know who your guy is? So we'll see. I, I think, obviously, there are reports coming out that Norvell, Kalen DeVore at Washington, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas might be a candidate, so on. I don't personally buy Sark. I'm kind of under the umbrella of, okay, if Sark, if Sark stays and Dan Lanning's out of the equation, DeBoer and Norvell make some sense to me. But you got to figure out who it is because not only does it ha- have to happen fast, but now you've apparently put a number on it. And in this day and age, these players are going to get really antsy, especially when they know they have a 30-day window of opportunity and reaction to this. And following Nick Saban is a, I mean, it's an impossible task, right? Like you're, you're not going to duplicate what he did. If you go nine and three in your first year in the expanded SEC, you're called a failure. I mean, they're, they're probably going to be calling for your head. And this is the tricky part of all this is like, I, I look at these coaches that are rumored to be in the mix. And I'd say, these are really, really good coaches. If you come in, let's say you are the hire at the end of that 72-hour window. The second that you finalize those papers, the second second after that is you getting on the phone and trying to retain the roster that is known as college football's most deep and talented. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's probably not going to work. Like You're going to have a really hard time convincing a lot of these guys to stick around and try to help you meet that expectation as well. Because a lot of these players are now going to be looked at in a different lens, whether we want to admit it or not. Because Coach Saban, being on that sideline, being the GOAT, it's a lot harder to question decisions and playmaking ability when the GOAT is standing on the sideline compared to when Coach X is on the sidelines and things aren't going great. Well, it's going to get a whole lot worse, and we're talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide fan base. So that's why, to me, like, I truly do not know who gets this job. I don't know who wants this job. I I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that you shouldn't take this job because you don't want to follow in Saban's shoes. I think we all would agree that it's not the mentality you want to have if you're a coach trying to win games. But also, like, the moment you accept this position, take the Saban stuff out of it the number of challenges that are going to be in place for you by the time you finish signing the dotted line, I don't know how you navigate them effectively and then go through the off season and build things up to the point that you're a hundred percent comfortable with what that roster looks like going into next year with the expanded to Southeastern conference. So I don't know, man, I, if it were me, like if I'm an agent, I'd be telling Steve Sarkeesian to stay in Texas. I think Dan Lanning, I don't blame him for wanting to stay at Oregon. Kalen DeBoer at Washington and Mike Norvell at Florida State. I get it, but I also think that they're in positions to where they probably also need to seriously have internal conversations about what this job would do to their career because it's a monster outside of the Saban stuff. And then when you factor in following the greatest of all time, you're truly talking about an absolute 
bear of a job, and I, I do not know who my first choice to take it would be. Colin Kennedy is our guest. Yesterday we were chatting about how for the last two years we've been talking about the lead-up for OU moving into the SEC. And just from a general talking point talking point standpoint where we're at, um, I had made the, the comment that, you know what, kind of stinks a little bit without have, knowing that Nick is going to be in Norman next year for that Alabama and Oklahoma game. And then just moving yeah. into the conference and, you know, again, it's the fans that get the short end of the stick on this. But looking at it through the other lens as well, where are you on, all right, Saban's gone. You know, the most consistent thing that we've had in college football maybe ever is finally gone. We don't know what the future looks like for Alabama. Maybe even if they drop down just a just a tick, Colin, that's potential good news for Oklahoma moving into the SEC. Look, here's the thing. I I think it's a great point because I think when Oklahoma made this move and the schedule was announced, people looked at it and said, Oh man, Alabama's coming to Norman and Oklahoma's gonna play LSU. But it still hasn't registered, in my opinion, to the fullest extent that you got to play Ole Miss in the Grove, who is recruiting the transfer portal better than any program in America, period, right now. You got to play Tennessee, that has a number of different impressive offensive and defensive talent coming in the next season. And oh, by the way, they have a rising quarterback of their own in Nico Yamaliava. There are a lot of games on this schedule outside of the major headliners that you could easily lose if you're OU. And then you were going to go play Nick Saban in Alabama in Norman, far from a winnable game. You had to play LSU. The Texas game is still floating out there. Any sort of slight advantage, even if it's the retiring of a head coach, in my opinion, is incredibly valuable for a program making this transition and I don't think that they're 100% at their full capacity either. I don't think that the rebuild under Brent Venables, I think they would tell you even as well, it's probably not 100% to the extent done in which they want it to be. So, yeah, like it's cool from the storyline perspective or whatever that Nick Saban was going to come to Norman. But do you want to see Nick Saban on the sideline or do you want a shot at beating a brand name like Alabama? I personally know what side I would be on. I'm just a media guy, so I get to sit and watch the game and really not care one way or the other what happens. But, yeah, I, I, I think this is a massive advantage not just for Oklahoma but for programs across the SEC, especially a lot of programs that are going to be making moves in reaction to this, trying to better their roster and their coaching staff. So I find it fascinating, man. Like, the SEC gauntlet is – is now more of a gauntlet than ever before. So to see one of the conference and the sports greatest leave his post, now that Alabama game for anybody looks a lot different, even with this one singular move. I don't really care who it is taking the job. You're probably feeling a lot better about that matchup, no matter what program you are. And I would say, especially Oklahoma, getting to bring that Alabama team into Norman. From a recruiting standpoint, I'm very curious to see what it looks like going forward. And obviously, whoever the head coach is will play a pivotal role in that. But, I mean, Alabama's not a slouch by any means. It's it's a giant brand. It was a giant brand before Saban got there. But 
I would imagine in a lot of recruiting battles, there have been other schools that have made really good pitches, and probably the fact that Nick Saban is the guy roaming the sideline puts Alabama over the top more often than not. Yeah, that's the thing. is, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many guys on the recruiting trail who I deal with. I, I've built a lot of relationships through coaches and trainers and parents, and one thing they always do is they take that one signature photo with Nick Saban in front of his couch in his office. If you have anybody around you worth a damn, I have seen you tweet that picture of you with Nick Saban in front of his couch in his office. I'm just here to tell you, like, Nick Saban's a big reason why Alabama wins recruiting battles. And it's not just because he's the greatest of all time. That certainly plays a role in it. But Nick is an elite recruiter, man. Like, he – he, for someone in his 70s, connected with kids very well. I think he built a lot more relatability than expected with a lot of guys over the years, and it paid off. He single-handedly would put together some of the greatest classes we have ever seen in the history of recruiting rankings and then take those classes and actually develop them properly into national championship caliber squads. So you look at this, and you look at this, this class, for example, for Alabama, that's ranked number two overall, like, I, I'm fascinated what happens next with these recruits as well. They have a five-star quarterback coming in, a five-star corner. They have all of these impressive talents heading to Tuscaloosa. Oklahoma was just on the outside looking in for a guy like Casey Poe, Casey Poe a high four-star offensive lineman that nearly committed OU but ended up choosing Alabama in the end. All of these recruits, I'm telling you, like, these, this is another aspect of this, is these guys signed up to go play for Saban as freshmen. All right, what now? Are you still in? Like, how does this get handled? Are we going to see a lot of, like, significant battles with national letters of intent? I don't know. And then – Again, too, like, because recruiting is so important, well, the transfer portal is now as important to recruiting as ever before. That Alabama depth chart, like, guys, there were serious rumors that Caden Proctor, the freshman left tackle, might be exploring transfer options. You've got to assume that dude might be back on the table as a portaler. Caleb Downs, their safety, is one of our highest-rated safeties of all time. He was casually a freshman All-American, one of the best defensive backs in the country as a first-year player. What happens if that guy hits the portal? I don't know, man. Like it's Saban is, is who he is for a reason. He understood how to bring in the guys that you needed to win games and make them the players they needed to be to win on a consistent basis. And now all those players who he added – could be up for grabs, whether they're recruits or current members of the roster. And that's why a lot of this, again, has everyone's attention in college football. Because that's the other thing, too, is Alabama doesn't just recruit the SEC. They don't recruit just the Southeast. And I know that sounds obvious, but you've got players on this roster in this recruiting class from California, from Ohio, from so on and so forth. If it becomes open season for these recruits, and for these players on the roster who are especially younger guys that are going to have years of eligibility, what Saban built is going to significantly impact how other rosters are built 
And that's why, again, I'm fascinated by the dwindling down window we have here of said 72 hours. Well, just to wrap this up from an Oklahoma perspective, how many of the players on that roster have an Oklahoma tie or maybe Oklahoma was heavily involved with down the stretch? I mean, if, if the whole roster were to hit the portal, are there guys that you anticipate Oklahoma being being specifically interested in? Yeah, I think first and foremost, like Caden Proctor, who I mentioned, the freshman left tackle, Oklahoma recruited him, Iowa recruited him. He was a, a high five-star talent that Bill Beanbow was involved with. You'd have to think, especially with the emphasis that Oklahoma is placing on the transfer portal and offensive linemen, he would probably be someone who you would go after. I think back to Jordan Renaud, a defensive lineman, a young defensive lineman who was down to Oklahoma and Alabama and announced on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel at the final moment he was going to go with Alabama. There are a lot of other guys that we could sit here and talk about, right? And, and that's the tricky part of it is you, you kind of have to figure out just how serious they are about entering the portal. And then when you talk about, again, the national letters of intent, what happens if we get into disputes there, Casey Poe was nearly in Oklahoma sooner. He's a highly rated offensive lineman. This is some of the stuff you, you're probably talking about in-house at Oklahoma right now. And there's rumors already of a lot of other of these players not just thinking about the portal, but potentially being contacted by other teams behind the scenes. Comes with the territory. So now it's up to, number one, these players to decide how they want to handle their future and what that process is going to look like. And then number two, after that, how these teams, including Oklahoma, decide to attack this roster if it ultimately becomes vulnerable. And you got to think that it will be. Colin, always appreciate it, my friend. I know you're busy, uh, but we, uh, we appreciate the time with you every Thursday, and we'll do it again next week. All right, fellas. Colin Kennedy with SoonersIllustrated.com and 24-7 Sports joining us via the Blitz Hotline. I am Colby Daniels along with Jeremy Poplin. Pop has the reins next here on the Blitz 1170, and we are streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.